At first I was afraid, I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong, and that was wrong. And I learned how to get along, and so you're back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have made you leave your key. I should have known for just one second you'd be back to bother me. Go on now, go. Walk out the door. Just turn around now, cause you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one who tried to hurt me with goodbye? You that crumble. You think I'd lay down and die? Oh, not I. I will survive. Oh, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. All my life to live, I've got all my love to give. I will survive. I will survive. Hello again, and welcome to another round of the Dirty 35 Prospect Countdown, uh, the podcast version. This is where we go over each individual tier of five prospects, uh, and I am Kyle Reese. I am your host for Birds on the Black. Thank you for joining me once again. Uh, This time around, we are already into the top ten. It's crazy to think that we've been doing this for a month now, and here we are uh, going over prospects ten through six. Uh, Not broadcasting from the shower. I'm fully clothed this time. Uh, I apologize for that. Maybe we'll do something like an extravaganza when we get to prospects one through five. Uh, But right now I'm just a normal human being and I apologize for all you weirdos who want something more. Uh, I guess we can do a quick little little recap. You know what? I'm not going to do a recap. If you want the recap of where we are in the countdown, how we got to prospect number 10 through 6... Go to Birds on the Black, read articles for articles 35, uh, for prospects 35 through 11. Go back and read the March of the Prospects. Go back and read the Graduates uh, if you want the update. When we get to next podcast, when we do prospects 1 through 5, I'll give you the rundown of prospects 35 through 30, or through, through uh, 35 through 1, rather. And uh, we'll sing it like Billy Joel, you know, uh, like we didn't start the fire. Something like that. I don't know. We'll get clever. Uh, so how about this? Uh, Let's launch right into it. Prospect number 10 on our Dirty 35 countdown is Dylan Carlson, 20-year-old outfielder. Now, uh, Dylan Carlson has probably made the biggest name for himself in spring training so far of any of the Cardinals prospects not named Tommy Edmond, who's our number 16 prospect. Uh, You know, Dylan Carlson's 20 years old, and Danny Mack spends every broadcast talking about him and raving about him and ranting about him. Uh, Jim Edmonds spent some time over the weekend talking about how fantastic fantastic of a young man he is. You know, the story of Dylan Carlson's career up until this point, he's a switch hitter. He's a good size, like 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, He plays a really, really great corner outfield. He has a good, strong arm. But the Cardinals have been really aggressive with promoting him. When he was drafted, he started in the GCL. And then from there, he went to Peoria, and he spent all of 2017 in Peoria. Uh, he was just a league average player, 101 WRC+, plus, you know, right around that. But uh, it was a tough ask for any 18-year-old to go to that level and hold their own, and he held his own. He started 2018 back there, and he was only there for about 13 games, Uh Really, really hit very well. Got on base about three, uh, 37% of the time or so. And then he earned himself a promotion to Palm Beach. This is where we talk about what 
Dylan Carlson's career is up until this point. He is a player who just completed his age 19 season, his second full season in the majors at the A-plus level. He had 440 plate appearances at Palm Beach. Uh, his WRC-plus was 112, which is 12% better than the league average, 12 points better than the league average uh, in the, the, the pitcher-friendly Florida State League. He only had nine home runs. Uh, he only had 19 doubles and, you know, 441 plate appearances. That's pretty solid. That's not great. Uh, it's not awful either, but he's more than holding his own at these levels. He He's becoming a more complete hitter from both sides. Uh, the one thing that I love is his his walk rate has always been above 10%, and his strikeout rate uh, dipped this last year to like 17%, 17.5%. He has a great approach. Uh, he's just a strong, smart kid who's strong with the fundamentals. Like, he has a high baseball IQ. When we were doing the prospect, when we were assigning uh, prospects to to uh, Twitter people, we gave uh, the one and only Daniel Shaptal Dylan Carlson because Dylan Carlson is a man. He was a 19-year-old man, uh, and Shaptal represents the best of us uh, as bloggers and as Cardinal fans. Uh, Dylan Carlson represents the best of what a 20-year-old kid can be, what a teenager can be. Uh, his father, Jeff Carlson, is a great coach. Highly thought of, has produced major league talent uh, through his through his high school program. Uh, their mother has dealt with some some health issues. There's a link in the article that'll send you to an article that Jose uh, Jose Ortiz wrote for the Post Dispatch about his upbringing. Uh, I'm not one to get overly crazy about the intangible aspects of the game. Uh, I like talent more than I like intangibles. But this is a kid who has both the talent and the intangibles, and the mind, and everything. You're going to put a 20-year-old 20-year-old out there playing against kids who are, you know, three years older than him on average. Uh, he'll probably start at the, he'll probably start at double A in the Texas League, or, uh, yeah, in the Texas League. Uh, kids that are probably three years older than him on average, and he won't make the mistakes that those kids make. He's smart. He has the IQ. He's dedicated to the sport. Uh, he has a great coach that's his father, to bounce things off of him, you know, to, to get better in the process. Uh, Dylan Carlson, as everyone with an opinion will tell you, is poised for a breakout. Now, uh, I think it could be argued that Dylan Carlson is a top five prospect in the organization. Uh, I'm not there yet. And my reason for not being there is I just, again, a batting average means very little to me. His batting average uh, at Palm Beach was uh, 247 this past season. And I'm not worried about that, but what I want to see is just a growth of power. You know, I want to see that walk rate stay about 10%, 11%. I want to see his strikeout rate stay below 20%. But in 440 at-bats or 440 plate appearances, I want to see him hitting 15 home runs. And I think we're going to see that in the Texas League, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, if his if his on-base percentage is 350 and he's hitting, you know, 15 home runs, 20 doubles uh, in, in 440 plate appearances, and he should get more plate appearances than that, then that'll be enough to catapult him out of the 10 spot. Uh, it's just he hasn't done it yet. And, you know, while everything is there that gets me excited, that points to him being a top five prospect in the organization, he just hasn't done it statistically yet. And that's partially due to the fact that he's just played against such extreme talent as compared to what he's seen in the past. So uh, that's not to vilify him or to talk down on him in any capacity. It just goes to show you that even as a league average hitter uh, in 2017, he was still an impressive young man. The one area that worries me 
is he has a tendency to top baseballs. Uh, he, he lives kind of above the baseball. That results in a lot of grounders. I think this is this will change. I don't have a mechanical change that I would like for him to undergo. I thought about maybe saying something about his hands, but I, I just want him to live with the hitter that he is and continue to gain momentum uh, that he showed last year. I love Dylan Carlson. Again, I, I have such respect and admiration for that family. And, uh, you know, Dylan Carlson's the type of player that you root for and also the type of player you can get excited about. Anybody who's going to be 20 years old for nearly the entire year uh, and at double A, you know, what you're keeping an eye on is just making sure that he doesn't, uh, you know, regress. And even if he regresses, it's fine. Just keep an eye on that WRC number because I think it's going to be helpful in really evaluating uh, where Mr. Carlson is uh, midway through the year. Don't be surprised if he makes his way to Memphis uh, for the playoffs. Sticking in the outfield, prospect number nine is Randy Rosarena, outfielder, uh, 24 years old. So I guess the news just broke maybe a couple hours before I'm recording this that Randy broke his hand and he's going to be out for what could be months, uh, multiple weeks leading into a month or so. Uh, It happened during batting practice, I believe. Really, really heartbroken about that. You know, Randy was poised for a breakout. He's had a great spring. You were starting to see him take better at bats, at bats that he showed he was capable of taking in 2017. Uh, It's just such a setback, and it's heartbreaking. And I wonder what it does with the Cardinals' ability to trade some of that depth that they have on the 40-man. But uh, that's a story for a different day. Randy Rosarena's 2018 boils down really simple. Is He was great at Springfield uh, while basically, basically repeating the level. And he really struggled at Memphis. Now, he spent three different tours of duty at Memphis. And his first tour of duty was short but good. Didn't hit for any power. Uh, got on base a bunch. Got some Babbitt luck. His second tour, he had it was longer. And he started hitting for power. But there was no on-base percentage. And then his third tour was kind of just like a crapshoot. He was taking more walks, taking more pitches. But nothing else was there. The other thing I want to say about Randy is for his last two straight years, basically three straight years, it was an offseason, and then, uh, uh, well, it was like, yeah, it was the offseason, and then 2017, and then the offseason, and then 2018. So for like two straight years, he played baseball, and he didn't take a break. And I'm not talking about like, you know, he was taking maybe two months off a year from playing competitive baseball. And you could see his body change. Like, by the end of last year, he was skinnier than I had ever seen him. He's bigger again. He's leaner this time, uh, but he's bigger now. That's exciting. Uh, he had played nonstop for two years. And you could really see the fatigue set in by the end of the 2018 season. You could see it by the midpoint of the 2018 season. Uh, the other thing about Randy, look at the gifts in the article. I pointed it out in the article. You'll notice that this is a guy who's constantly tinkering and toying with his, his mechanic, especially in his timing mechanic. Sometimes that front foot, his left foot, sometimes it's just a twist and a turn. Uh, he's usually open, but he isn't always open. Sometimes that, that the, the legs are closed. Uh, sometimes it's a big leg kick. Sometimes it's a toe tap and a roll. Uh, he just, especially going from 2017 when he started the year off with a big wide open stance and a big leg kick, and he shortened that and then started hitting, uh, to watch him last year go back and forth, pardon me, go back and forth, and not be able to find a happy medium or his comfort level, uh, along with watching his body kind of get smaller and smaller and watching the fatigue set in, uh, it was just kind of disappointing and kind of sad for him. Uh, you know, the rumor is he ha- he's had to play in the Winter League to like support his son. I believe he's a single father uh, to support his son. That's a bummer. Uh, but this past year, he only got 56 plate appearances or at-bats. 
in the uh, Mexican Winter League. So he should be a little bit more well-rested. And now he's going to be out with this broken hand for a little bit. So I guess fatigue isn't much of an issue. We all know how tough it is to come back uh, from that that those hand injuries, especially after being hit and breaking them that way. Uh, I, I believe that this year might end up being another wash uh, uh, for Randy for that very reason. We're just going to have to wait and see. I imagine he'll take his time coming back, hopefully, uh, and we won't have anything to worry about. Randy as an outfielder is really interesting because his arm is really, really good. But then we saw, like, in one of the spring games this year, he threw, like, a lame duck. I've never seen him throw a lame duck before. Uh, his arm's better than what he's shown in spring training this year. He's he's a good corner outfield. He can handle center in a pinch. Uh, the issue with Randy, his athleticism saves him sometimes for balls that are, like, uh, over his head and, sw- and slicing away from him. Again, he can get to most of them. Uh, it's not an issue, but sometimes they look really, really awkward. The other thing about Randy as an outfielder is he just has this way of making just tremendous catches, uh, spectacular catches. And it's not the kind of catch where you think, all right, he probably didn't need to do that. Uh, You'll see in the article, you'll see him dive for a ball to his right. You'll see him scale the wall and make a catch. Uh, It's all very part of his game. Uh, So, you know, it's there and we're just going to have to wait and see. The comparison I always make with Randy Rosarena, who I love, is he's like your perfect prototypical fourth outfielder, Gerardo Perra, second division starting outfielder, Perfect fourth outfielder, Gerardo Pera. Uh, he's going to strike out about 19 or 20% of the time. You want to see his walk rate stay above six. Uh, he's going to clobber left-handed pitching. He still has a little bit of work to do against righties, but you're seeing him clean that up a little bit. Uh, he has the potential to be, again, a really, really great fourth outfield option with a little pop off the bench. Uh, I love his doubles potential. He's kind of a gap hitter and kind of a guy who can just pull the ball down the line. Uh, we saw him get a single over the weekend uh, on a pitch low and outside. He fought it off and fought it off and fought it off against Wade Miley and then just flicked the ball on a one-two count uh, over the second baseman's head, over the first baseman's head, like into that that gap between the right fielder and the first baseman, second baseman. And that's Randy at his best. That's when he's really seeing the ball. So it's even more of a shame that he's hurt now and he's going to miss time. Uh, but that's Randy. He had a down 2018 season. I thought about dropping him further on the list. The argument could definitely be made that Dylan Carlson fits better as a 9 as opposed to a 10. Like, the two of these guys could be flipped. Uh, But I went with Randy, honestly, because Randy's one of my favorite prospects. I'm being a homer here. I I try to be as subjective as as possible, but I was objective here. Uh, I'm sorry about that. And also, you know, Randy's a little further along, and I just really like Randy's athletic skill set. And I was hoping for the best, but now we're just going to have to sit on our hands for a while and hope that Randy's healthy uh, sooner rather than later. Prospect number eight on our list is a bit of a reach. It's six foot four, 265 pound, uh, monster of a human being, might not even be a human, uh, Lucan Baker. Uh, Lucan's 22 years old. He was drafted in the second round of this past draft. I love Luke and Baker. Uh, I here's the thing about Luke and Baker, right? So a little a little background about that. His freshman year, he looked like he was going to be a two way player at TCU. It looked like he was going to pitch and play first. Well, he had arm problems, so he had to stop pitching. His sophomore year, goes to play first base full time. He's mashing the baseball, and then he has a freak injury where he's going to cover the bag at first. Uh, fields a grounder, runs over to first to cover the bag, beat the runner, collides with the runner, and breaks his arm or a part of his arm. It might have been his collarbone. It might have been something like that. Anyways, misses the last two months of the season. Gets into his junior year. He's on fire. He's in fuego. And he goes to slide into second base and breaks a part of his leg. Gets drafted by the Cardinals. 
doesn't get an immediate start within the Cardinals organization, uh, gets a delay, starts at the Gulf Coast League, matches the Gulf Coast League, finds his way to Peoria really, really quick. Uh, after eight games in the Gulf Coast League as part of a rehab, he plays 37 games at Peoria, has 156 plate appearances, hits three home runs with uh, a nine doubles in those 156 plate appearances, hits 288, 359, 417. Now, there's a couple questions that come with Luke and Baker, right? He doesn't have a prototypical power swing. He's just a big, strong kid that has a tendency of hitting line drives over the wall. He also hits towering shots, but it's usually more line drives than anything. Uh, he kind of has that Matt Holiday leverage swing. Uh, again, his power is like the Scott Rowland Matt Holiday, which is based purely on body strength and not necessarily about like swing path and things like that. More Holiday than it was with Scott Rowland, but to give you an idea. And that's not to compare him to Rowland or Holiday. He's never going to be that kind of player. Uh, sorry to burst your bubble. But to give you the kind of the idea of where his strength come from. The other thing with Luke and Baker is part of the reason he fell to the Cardinals, other than the injuries, were because people really, really questioned his defense at first. And I'm sure that you know by now. Uh, but if a player has questionable defensive skills at first base their draft stock, of course, is going to go tumbling. Uh, what I will tell you is when I watched Mr. Baker, and I'm going to call him Mr. Baker because he's huge. When I watched him at Peoria, I never once thought like, wait, this guy can't play first. He comes across as slow. He's definitely not fast. Uh, but keep in mind, too, that he's coming off of a, a leg injury that I believe required surgery. At the very least, it required a cast, and it made him miss months of the college season. Uh, but he that's like the one thing that sticks out. You don't think like, Man, this guy, this guy's pretty slow, but he's also agile at the same time. Uh, there wasn't a time when watching him at Peoria where I thought, man, this guy can't handle the position. I'm anxious to see what it looks like in 2019. That'll give us a more clear indication of exactly what he's capable of. Uh, I'm, I'm not sold uh, one way or the other on his defensive abilities at first. I will just say that I think he's a better first baseman than maybe we were led to believe. And that's like saying that he's he's has a potential to be average instead of below average. Not like he has a the potential to be above average or anything like that. Like I think he can be an average first baseman for a couple of years. Uh, he has a really patient approach. It's pretty well developed. I'm anxious to see where he starts the year at. I think he could start the year at Palm Beach. They might send him back to Peoria to start. The Cardinals have an interesting first base kind of like cluster of players. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see where it goes. I know I'm being bullish about Luke and Baker at eight. I know it. I, I understand it. I just like... There's something raw and strong about him. You know, uh, we've had people ask me to compare him to Luke Voigt. And the, I guess the best that I can do while Luke Voigt, you know, took the American League by storm, Major League Baseball by storm after being traded to the Yankees. Uh, I think that Luke and Baker has something that's more sustainable than what Luke Voigt had. Similar approach, similar big bodies driving the ball. Uh, I just think that Baker has more raw tools than Voight had. And remember, it's really hard to grade the two because Voight started out as a catcher, turned into a first baseman. Uh, maybe that's one area you can go on is the both of their, the, when they both became first baseman in the organization, uh, there were still a lot of questions about their defensive prowess. So I, I love Lucan Baker. I, I just think that like, you look at a player who might be on the fast track, who could end up at Memphis by the end of the year, uh, just one year after being drafted. I, I think that this might be the guy, you know, I, I don't expect him to get much worse than what we've seen. And I think that's more what I'm hanging my hat on than anything. You know, I, I think at the very least at the minor league level, and there's no telling what happens at the major league level, but, you know, I think at the very least in the minor league level, you're talking about a guy who strikes out 20% of the time, walks 10% of the time, and, you know, hits a decent amount of home runs and doubles, probably 
20 home runs and 550 at bats or plate appearances rather and you know 20 doubles something like that hold on I need a drink in my mind that's who Luke and Baker is uh I don't know what it's going to look like when he makes it to the majors. If he makes it to the majors, we're just going to have to take a step back and really, really evaluate his 2019 independently. I, I'm not going to all that I'm going to take 2019 when I, all that I'm going to take into 2019 when evaluating evaluating Luke and Baker. I have one drink of a strawberry natural light or whatever the hell this thing is, and uh, I'm drunk all of a sudden. No, uh, so when we when we evaluate Luke and Baker's 2019. All that we're going to look at is we're going to remember the injury history and we're going to give him a clean a clean slate, or as Batman would say, the clean slate, and uh, we're going to take it from there and see where it goes. So that's Luke and Baker. Uh, that's one of the picks. I put him eighth. That's one of the ones where here in like three months I could look like a complete jackass and he could be back past the 20 or he could really, really hold his spot firm. Uh, I love Luke and Baker. And again, I would ask that you go to the GIFs and watch them. Uh, there's one GIF where he hits a ball out of Minute Maid. As a member of TCU, you'll find out in the other home run gifts, too, that uh, he just powers everything. Like, everything is raw power. There's one little, like, gif where he drops a single between the right, you know, he's a right-handed hitter, where he drops a single between the right fielder and the center fielder, and you'll notice he just inside-out power, like, power swing. I don't mean it's like a power swing, but, like, he just strengths it and, like, inside-outs it. Uh, to the oppo gap. And I have a feeling that when it's all said and done, we're going to be talking about uh, Baker, Montero, and Kisner all in the same type of category as guys who can use all fields, especially the gaps, to uh, to really like boost their batting average, their ability to get on base. And with Baker, I think it'll come in the form of power. Prospect number seven on the list is another prospect who's kind of taken the organization by storm. It's outfielder Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas is 23. He was acquired last year for international bonus pool money from Toronto. Uh, the deal with Lane Thomas, when the, uh, the the Blue Jays drafted him, he was a, a kind of an infielder. He was a shortstop, could play the outfield, could play all over the place. And when the, uh, the Blue Jays brought him into the system, they tried him as a teenager. Uh, they tried him at a bunch of different positions. For or, uh, second, short, third, and he never really stuck there. And at the beginning of 2017, they moved him to the outfield. He didn't really hit for power. You could tell he could handle center field. Uh, but it didn't really look like there was, like, much there. You know, he's, he was kind of a skinny guy. He has a good frame. He's 6'1". Six, six now he's, like, 2'10". Back then, he was, like, 175. Uh, but it just hadn't manifest, right? Like, he went from hitting... Let me see if I can find the numbers. I've got the article up in front of me. I'm trying to be a good prepared boy. Uh, he went from hitting, like... It, so... When he entered the Cardinals organization in 2018, he hit 21 home runs at Springfield in 435 plate appearances. In the prior four seasons, over 1,148 plate appearances, he only hit 18 home runs. So that kind of gives you an idea of why the Blue Jays might trade this kid, this super athletic kid without any power upside and maybe some patient issue, some patience issues along with health issues uh, for just some international cash. But then, you know... He gets healthy, he gets stronger, he gets bigger, and he really starts trusting his swing, and that's when the power comes. It comes in hitter-friendly leagues, the Texas League and the PCL, uh, but it really, really projected out. The other thing that's really fun about Lane Thomas is he's a really, really good outfielder. Uh, we've noticed that he took a step back in center field 
so that he can like use his speed, which is plus. Again, you'll, there's a gif where he goes from home to third in about 11 and a half seconds, a little under 12 seconds. That's super impressive. But uh, he's playing a little deeper out in the outfield for center, and it's allowing him to make the adjustments necessary to really utilize his speed and to play to his own strengths, you know, the, the hops that he gets and everything. The other thing about Lane Thomas at the plate is he has just a tremendous ability of barreling the ball. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to hit the ball hard to barrel it, uh, and, and good things will happen. You'll find in the gifts, uh, the first gift in the article, he just kind of like flicks the ball. He's out in front of a breaking pitch, flicks it, and he takes that pitch all the way to the wall. Uh, he's, he's better than I gave him credit for. I do think that there's more power potential there than there might be with Harrison Bader. I don't know if like 25 home runs plus is like really attainable at the major league level for Lane Thomas. I think 25 to 20 is is like his sweet spot. Uh, he has kind of a hole on the low inside part of his, his zone, and I'm anxious to see if teams start to exploit that a little bit more. We're just going to have to wait and see. But his swing is compact. It's fast. It has great plate coverage. He doesn't move his head a lot. He's quiet when he needs to be quiet. Like, everything to like about the kid at the plate is, like, there's everything to like about the kid at the plate. And also in the field. I, I don't, like, his arm is really strong. He's going to be a good center fielder. He's going to be a great corner outfielder. He made the best catch in baseball in 2018. Uh, any baseball league, basically going head over heels, or heels over head uh, to catch a ball, robbing a home run in right field. Uh, look, Here's the, here's the deal with Lane Thomas. The question will be, because he, he incorporated more walks into his profile this year, uh, kind of leveled it off more. It was like between 9 and 10%. Uh, the question will be how he handles the strikeouts. Because the strikeouts, you know, 23% tells you it's probably going to be higher than that at the major leagues if he doesn't make an adjustment. Something we're going to have to wait and see. In the Arizona Fall League, he did really good to take more walks and strike out less. That's a positive. Uh, the other issue with Lane Thomas, and I've written about it every time that I've written about Lane Thomas, is there's like a Jekyll and Hyde in him. There's a really confident version of him, and then there's a version of him that isn't confident. We saw that version in May of last year. Uh, what you'll see then with Lane Thomas, and it's obvious, like you don't need the stats to see it. Uh, all you need is your eyes, and you'll see him take a lot of check swings at pitches, even fastballs down the middle and, and you know, good fastball counts. Uh, you'll see him give up on pitches, or you know, as a center fielder, you'll see him concede a gap fly ball to one of his corners when it's obviously his uh, his ball. Uh, he just like it's it's not that he's disinterested or anything like that, but you can tell his confidence is waning for whatever reason it might be waning. That's why I uh, like that's the other thing you have to worry about with Lane Thomas, at least as of right now. But I say that, and we saw that version of Lane Thomas a lot in May, uh, but pretty much from June on until the end of the year, that version of Lane Thomas never really peaked its head back up. It did for about a week and a half. I want to say in July or so. It might have been the beginning of August. But other than that, he 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 killed that version of himself, it seemed like, in 2018. If he continues to hide that version of himself, if that version of himself doesn't get the voice, uh, you're talking about, honestly, like somebody who is every bit as good with more potential than Harrison Bader. And that's a, that's like a concession I haven't been ready to make. Uh, this is the first time that I felt comfortable making that concession. Um, asked about the Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas uh, uh, comparison a lot on Prospects After Dark. And I just never feel comfortable saying one way or the other about like power potential or outfield potential. But as I get another drink, I do think Lane Thomas just has more potential than Harrison Bader. 
Uh, he's not as fast as Bader, but he's there. His arm isn't as good as Bader's, but it's right there. Uh, he probably has more power. I like his approach a little bit better. Uh, I just really like Lane Thomas. And as a matter of fact, once I did my write-up, once I did a little bit more research on him, I almost went and made him the number five prospect in the organization. Uh, for real, for various different reasons, prospects seven, six, and five all could go in any order. And then... Really, prospects four through one could go in any order as well, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, so that is our number seven prospect outfielder, Lane Thomas. He's going to be a good one, folks. Uh, it's all about his confidence level. And I got to tell you, he's just a lot of fun to watch. Like In my mind, and I'm sorry to keep going on about Lane Thomas, but in my mind, Lane Thomas is like what we all hoped Skip Schumacher would be, right? Like, oh, he's big, he's strong, he can hit home runs. Like, He's that's what he is. He except for like again, what we all thought someone like Skip Schumacher could be. Or maybe maybe the better way of putting it is without the stolen base aspect, because Lane Thomas, even though he's fast, he's not a base dealer. He's like what we all thought Peter Borges could be. I'd like to take the Skip Schumacher thing away. But like he's like what we all thought Peter Borges could be. Or when what Peter Borges was in that career year. That's Lane Thomas. So like that's him at his peak. Don't be surprised if he gets there sooner rather than later. Prospect number six on our list, left-handed pitcher, Henesis Cabrera. Uh, another kiddo, man. Another another pup in the organization. Uh, Henesis is also 22 years old. Uh, he was one of the three pitchers. One of the three pitchers. One of the three players traded for Tommy Pham. Uh, the Cardinals acquired from the Rays for Tommy Pham. The other two, Justin Williams, you guys, prospect number 33 on our list. Uh, go back and read about him. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Roel Ramirez uh, didn't write about him. Not really much to say about him at this point. We're just going to have to wait and see where it goes from there. Uh, but Henesis Cabrera really is the gem. And you probably know Henesis Cabrera because during this winter time, uh, he was pitching in the Dominican Winter League, and he was striking everyone out, and he wasn't letting up any base runners, and he wasn't walking anybody. And all of a sudden, he went from being a potential starting candidate to being someone who would be able to help the Cardinals out of the bullpen maybe from the beginning of the season. And I bring all that up because I want to I remind everyone that sometimes success in leagues that we don't understand, uh, they, they kind of like skew our perception of a player. So someone like Genesis Cabrera, Henesis by the way, it is Henesis. Someone like Henesis Cabrera goes to the Dominican Summer League and just absolutely, or Winter League rather, the Dominican Winter League, and absolutely dominates the league. Well, if you don't know that that league is basically some combination of double A AA and triple A talent that leans high to triple A, then you would think, oh, wow, maybe this guy has the potential. And then you would hear that he's dialing the fastball up to like 98. And you think, oh, this is all clicking. But you know what? Any pitcher with the natural junk of Henesis Cabrera that can dial it up to 98 that's pitching out of relief is going to beat double A, triple A talent. Uh, he did it out of the Memphis bullpen, and that's way during the playoffs, the triple A playoffs, the PCL uh, playoffs, and that's more impressive than anything that happens at the Dominican Summer League. Uh, it's also more important, too, because it's a little bit more competitive, and I don't know, the talent's just better at, like, triple A. Henesis Cabrera, uh, by the way, this is where I give a, a hat tip to my good friend, Joe Schwarz. Uh, STL Cup of Joe, you know him, he writes for The Athletic, subscribe to The Athletic, it's worth it's worth it just for uh, STL Cup of Joe, uh, and his his little man Jaden, who is half of our uh, uh, babies of Prospects After Dark, a little Tegan uh, Orwig gets a shout out there, that's the other half of our, uh, our official babies of Prospects After Dark, anyways, getting away from that, uh, 
as I ramble on about why we we may have misjudged our expectations about Henesis, uh, he obviously struggled greatly in in spring. He didn't have a whole lot of time with the big club because of how badly he struggled early in spring. The rumor is, and I'm you know I've heard a couple different things. I've heard that the Cardinals are going to work to stretch him out as a starter, and I've also heard that he might stay as a reliever. Cardinals have plenty of relieving options. Stretch this kid out as a starter, but uh, as I ramble on and on. The, what you need to know about Henesis Cabrera is he throws a fastball that when he's pitching out of relief is 98 miles an hour. When he's not pitching out of relief, it's like 92, 96, depending. He throws a changeup that isn't very good, but it works as a change of pace pitch. Part of the reason he had command control issues as part of the Rays organization is the Rays really wanted him to throw that pitch. Uh, and he couldn't. He wasn't very good with it. But he can throw it every once in a while. It just can't be a premier pitch for him. He also throws a slider and a curve. Both of those pitches work extremely well together. Uh... Again, so all of these pitches, with the exception of the changeup, have a, are above average pitches. The changeup is like average when it's only being used a limited on a limited basis, rather. The, there are a couple of mechanical cues that you need to keep an eye on with Henesis Cabrera. One is sometimes uh, when he's you know goes to unleash the pitch upon landing on his lead foot on his right foot, there are times when he's leaning hard to his left. And that throws his balance off. And when he's, his balance is off, his command is off. Uh, another thing to keep an eye on is he's at his best when he's on top of pitches. Sometimes he like cradle, like side cradles a pitch and swings his arm. Another thing to keep an eye on mechanic-wise uh, is his, his front leg, again, the lead leg, the plant leg. Sometimes it's, it's really, really like a swiping motion. And sometimes it's a, like an up and down direct swiping motion. When it's that up and down direct swiping motion, uh, you can you he his commands better. But when it's just like this kind of lazy swipe, it kind of gets him ruins his command. Those are the three things. If he's not doing those three things, and the thing about this is, it's not like huge mechanical adjustments. These are just small things that are easy. As again, if if I can get my little leaguers to do it at the age of thirteen. Uh, or from the age of 10 to 13, then Henesis Cabrera can do it as a 22-year-old. It's just a matter of uh, recognizing it and incorporating it. I think he's going to figure it out. Uh, I think that this full season at the minor league level in the St. Louis Cardinals organization is going to pay off, uh, as my dad would say, huge for him. But, you know, it's all a matter of how that stuff comes together. Uh, you'll notice with Henesis, he's a quick worker. We like that. You'll notice that his his waist is skinny, but he's kind of big and strong at the same time. Uh, the one thing I will tell you I, that became evident during the Dominican Winter League is that he is an emotional player. And not, not like pitching with emotion, blah, 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 and then that argument that a lot of people in the Midwest like to get into. Like, he is at his best when he's allowed to pitch with excitement in a, in a celebratory way. And I think that that can be said about a lot of the Latin American players. And I think that that's a good thing for baseball. But I know for sure it's a good thing for Henesis Cabrera. I also think it's a good thing for Austin Gomber to kind of go on a rant. I think one of the problems that Austin Gomber has had is that he's tried to like hide his emotions. And I can tell you as somebody who watched 80% of his start to AAA, AA, that he's at his best when he's pitching with emotion and pitching fiery. Uh, I haven't seen much of Austin Gomber do that. And it seems like when I've seen it, that's when he's been at his best. The same thing will be said about Henesis Cabrera. Uh, he's 22. He's got to earn it, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, but I know that watching this kid and some of the clips that I saw during the Dominican Summer League, it shows you a, a, a young man who, when he's having fun playing the baseball, the game of baseball, uh, he's at his most effective. 
let the kids play, man. This let the next generation show their emotions. Let them celebrate after a game-ending strikeout of a major league player uh, in a Dominican league, uh, uh, in a winter league. Uh, like let's embrace that. Like let's embrace that that celebratory nature of baseball. Uh, things that we used to do on the playground when we were kids, you know, with our friends. Uh, that's all baseball is. I mean, I know it's a profession, but uh, you know, my own personal belief. Now I'm just. I'm trying to get you to think the way that I want to think. I want you to think, so I'm going to stop there. But, uh, like, I like that about Henesis Cabrera. One of the things I've also said about Henesis Cabrera over the years is he has the kind of stuff that fools umpires sometimes. There aren't a lot of guys in the organization that have come up that way. Dakota Hudson would do it with this two-seam every once in a while. Uh, that thing rides so hard, uh, arm side, that it would, he would be able to, like, fool an umpire into thinking that uh, something was on the black that would roll, you know, back onto the corner. Uh Jaime Garcia used to do it all the time with all of his pitches. Alex Reyes used to do it with this curve. Alex Reyes used to throw that, that fastball high and then drop a curve in, and you'd actually see like an umpire shake his head. Uh, there's been a couple other pitchers here and there, but Henesis Cabrera does it a lot, and he does it with this curve and his slider, and he's reliant on the umpire calling a fair strike zone uh, with those breaking pitches on the outside corner. If he's getting a tight strike zone, he's not going to be effective. He needs, he needs to be able to have... a an umpire call a strike on the corner when it's a strike on the corner. Uh, sometimes he fools an umpire and it works against him. He's he's really talented. He works on the black. He knows he has good stuff, but he's not one of these people who doesn't realize that their stuff, it, while it's good, will still get hit. Like he, you know, if he throws it over the middle, he knows he's going to get hit, and he tries to pitch aggressively while also pitching out of the middle of the plate. But it doesn't do him any good, and he ends up walking people sometimes too because he's putting it on the black right on the line where it is a strike, and the minor league umpires, which are worse than the major league umpires, obviously are calling it a ball. So he's somewhat reliant on being able to get that that ball on the black uh, called for a strike. And sometimes that's a really, really slippery slope. And it's something, obviously, that, sure, I'm, I might sound like I'm blaming the umpires here, but what I'm really trying to tell you is that... Uh, he also needs to get better at it. Like, if it's the matter of coming in with the pitch by an inch, he's, his command needs to get better so that he can hit it that one inch. Like, it's just important. So, uh, again, I, I think that there's a natural reaction after how badly he struggled in spring training to want to kind of, like, turn on him and say, oh, you know what, this guy, he uh, he might not have it. Uh, you know, why is all, where is all this hype? How do you put this guy sixth? Uh, what I'll tell you is to be patient with him. Uh, remember, he's entering a new organization where they've kind of toyed with his mechanics. It might take him a minute to to really, really uh, hone in. But don't be surprised if, you know, in three months we're talking about a guy uh, on the cusp of making uh, a major league debut. And also a guy who we're yelling to take a rotation spot. Like, it's that easy. He could, again, by, by the time we get to the end of June, by the time we get to the beginning of June, we could be begging for him to be a part of the major league roster. That's how talented his stuff really is. Uh, and that'll do it for the podcast of Prospects 10 through 6 uh, here on Birds on the Black. Uh, again, I'm Kyle Reese. You can find me on Twitter at KYLER416. I would I beg you to give me your 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 request, your comments. Uh, I love communicating with everyone. Uh, I've always thought of this as us being in it together, whether it be Prospects After Dark or the Dirty 35 Countdown. Make it your countdown. Have some fun with it. Uh, uh, also, check out all the things that we're doing at Birds on the Black. Uh, again, if you stick around, probably right after you hear this, if you just let the, the podcast play, you'll get chirps with Alex and Tara. That's fantastic. I love listening to that. Uh, and come back here 
in about six days when we give you the final podcast breakdowns of Prospects 5 through 1. Uh, and uh, again, I, I would say that Prospects 4 through 1 could go in any order. And I wouldn't be surprised if the order that I have them in ends up getting a little bit of a uh, blowback, to be honest. But uh, we'll wait until we get to that. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're part of the resistance. And, and as always, family, find your prospects and have a good time uh, having a nice, happy hunting. <laughs>